My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Scott Beaver and Chris Hunter. The St. Mary's River flows through rural northeast Nova Scotia. Local residents largely work in agriculture, the fishery, forestry, and tourism, and the river's ecosystem supports a rich diversity of life, including around 20 species of fish, notably alewife, shad, smelt, and of course, Atlantic salmon. Scott Beaver is the president of the St. Mary's River Association. It participates in looking after the river's fisheries and has a heavy involvement in habitat restoration and the protection and stewardship of land. Chris Hunter is a past president of the St. Mary's River Association, and he's currently the program director for Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island with the Atlantic Salmon Federation. As a species, Atlantic salmon are not doing well. In the more southerly portion of their range down in the United States, salmon are close to extinct, and even in the southern uplands of Nova Scotia, which includes the St. Mary's River, they are designated as endangered. In the last 10 or 15 years, the St. Mary's River Association, in partnership with other organizations, has played a leading role in restoring salmon habitat on the St. Mary's River. Though they remain very much under threat in the St. Mary's, it's one of only two watersheds in the region that continue to provide a significant level of refuge for the species, which today's guests hope is laying the groundwork for a broader recovery in the future. And it's important to note that salmon are not just important in their own right, but rather their welfare is something of an indicator for the general health of the ecosystems that support them. In late summer 2018, the St. Mary's River Association became aware of a new threat to the river. A company called Atlantic Gold, it's since been bought by an Australian company called Santa Barbara, wants to develop a gold mine right next to the St. Mary's. This would be a massive open pit mine, and the site would also include a large impoundment facility for toxic tailings from the mining process. Not surprisingly, the association has grave concerns. There are many potential negative impacts from the mine, but central among them, given the mine's location, is the threat of toxic contamination of the river by the mining process itself and by leaching or leaks from the tailings pond. Though Atlantic Gold insists that the mine will be a major boost to the local economy, A study commissioned by the municipal government questions that conclusion. The mine is expected to be in production for only six to ten years, with relatively few jobs for locals and quite modest financial benefits for the area. On the other hand, any contamination could do major long-term damage to the ecosystem and could seriously harm the tourism industry. And the tailings pond would sit next to the river and present a major threat of contamination, essentially forever. Beaver and other opponents of the mine have been running what they call the NOPE campaign. That stands for No Open Pit Excavation. They aim to stop the mine, get more land in the watershed officially protected, and make changes in how the mining industry works in the province. They've done public education through presentations and town hall meetings. They developed an online presence. 
They put together the Friends of the St. Mary's, a sort of coalition of allies. They've lobbied politicians. They have a successful petition and have done a sign and sticker campaign. In all of these ways, they've built considerable support among opposition parties in the province. And while the provincial government says this was in the works long before the mine was proposed, the province is currently in the process of designating more lands along the river as protected, and the sites being considered include land that the company wants to put the mine on. A key intermediate goal for NOPE was to ensure the mine would undergo a federal environmental assessment. And in part thanks to their letter-writing campaign, that assessment is currently underway. I speak with Beaver and Hunter about the St. Mary's River, the proposed gold mine, and the NOPE campaign. My name is Scott Beaver. I'm the current president of the St. Mary's River Association, which is on the St. Mary's River here in a little village of Sherbrooke along the Atlantic coast of Nova Scotia. I grew up in this community ever since I was just a little tyke, and my parents owned and operated some local businesses. My dad also had a guiding business on the river, so we guided people largely from the United States, traveled up here to fish the St. Mary's for Atlantic salmon. So my childhood has been in and around this river, everything from paddling it, to swimming it, to fishing on it, to tubing it, everything you can think of, and guiding people all throughout it as well. So what we did, my wife and I, we moved across the country and spent some time in different areas of the country. And then we decided that we'd move back to the area. And because my parents had both been involved with the St. Mary's River Association for years and years, it uh, just naturally seemed like the thing for me to fall into in progression. So I joined the St. Mary's River Association and then I became the president eventually through that process. And here we are today. Sherbrooke is a small, little, quiet village area with a beautiful river that runs through it. We have a small tourist destination. It's mainly what our main industry is. And our river association here, this is our 40th year, and we're working diligently on restoration projects and trying to work in a collaborative approach with folks like the Atlantic Salmon Federation, the Nova Scotia Salmon Association, on trying to bring back the Atlantic Salmon, so a recovery program which is one of a kind in all of Nova Scotia. And then all of a sudden, about a year and a half ago, we have a gold mine company called Atlantic Gold knocking on their door, asking to give us a presentation about a gold mine which they want to put right on the banks of our beautiful river. My name is Chris Hunter, and I am the Program Director for Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island for the Atlantic Sound Federation. I actually started off studying in fisheries, and for whatever reason, I've always found salmon very near and dear to me. I'm not much of an angler. I more self-identify as a conservationist. And I've always been fascinated by the biology and the ecology of this species. And so I did my studies sort of in that realm and worked my way across the country doing that, spending time in Ontario and in BC, and then came back to Nova Scotia just wanting to stay involved with the salmon. I started to get involved with nonprofit organizations. So Habitat Limited, and then I was with St. Mary's, and I'm a past president of that organization. And then the Nova Scotia Salmon Association, and now the Atlantic Salmon Federation. Tell listeners a bit more about the work that your respective organizations have been doing in terms of restoring salmon habitat, supporting salmon populations, and all of that. The Atlantic Salmon Federation is a very big picture type organization. We're looking at a lot of the issues and trying to fight for those issues that are in the best interest of the species across its entire range. And so we have offices or personnel in every state and province that have Atlantic salmon. The trend, the further south you go in its range, it's not doing as well. In fact, if you go to the southernmost end of its range in the States, it's almost extinct. 
Nova Scotia, especially what we call the southern uplands of Nova Scotia, which is about the lower two-thirds of the mainland, including the St. Mary's River, is in a very similar boat. It's listed as endangered. So ASF, what we've been trying to do is trying to help facilitate our partners and affiliates, such as the St. Mary's River Association and our regional council, the Nova Scotia Salmon Association, to help fight that and actually create some enclaves that will protect and restore wild Atlantic salmon to create these little islands that will be genetic banks, if you will, for the species. And so the St. Mary's has been doing an absolutely bang-up job on that. They've been garnering lots of money and putting in countless volunteer hours. They're actually one of two spots that really are actually providing this refuge for Atlantic salmon and give us hope for preserving the species. So I've often told people this isn't just about saving fish on one river. This is about saving a river, which is part of saving a region, which is part of saving a species. Since 2014 to about 2018, we've spent $1.1 million on a habitat restoration project on our west branch of this river. And then since that, we've got another grant from the Coastal Restoration Fund for $1.2 million, which will continue restoration for Atlantic salmon and other creatures along that west branch. But we're also building on another project in Nova Scotia that's done in the Sheet Harbor area on a liming aspect to it, too. But besides working on salmon restoration and some stocking efforts and things like that along the river, we have also, we have an interpretive center that's one of the main focal points of our village as well. That's quite a unique little place to visit as well for folks to come. And another thing that we've started up amongst all of these other projects that we have is something we call our paddler's paradise. So thinking in terms of ecotourism within the community and along the St. Mary's River. So not only do we do salmon recovery restoration work, we're involved in the area with the paddling and ecotourism as well. So how did you first hear about the proposal for the gold mine? The area has historically been home to gold mining activity. Nova Scotia has had two distinct gold rushes already in its history. And if things pan out the way some of the companies and governments want to right now, we're about to experience our third. So gold mining has always been known about and talked about in the community. And certainly as long as I've been there, there's always been gold mines exploring. So we kind of knew that there were people up on Cochrane Hill exploring for gold and looking to see. To be honest, it was something that seemed like it was a very distant future. The price of gold was such and the concentration of gold was such that it just didn't seem like it was going to happen until suddenly it did. So one day, 2018, the end of the summer is rolling around. Lots of our projects are kind of coming to an end. Atlantic Gold, the proponent in this gold mine venture, has approached me directly and asked if they could give us a presentation. We must have been identified throughout the process as one of the key stakeholders. So they're obligated through the process to talk to us. So they come in. All of our board of directors in the audience, one of the representatives, he sets up his PowerPoint presentation and starts to talk a little bit about what their plans are for the project, where it's going to be, and some of the scale of what's going to be happening here. So you can kind of look around the room and see people scratching their head and, well, this doesn't sound like a good idea. But we, we, we take it in. We hear what he has to say. Presentation ends. The representative leaves. And then we have a follow-up meeting and discuss what was said. And that's when we start to realize that gold mining is just not what it used to be. These guys are talking about a massive operation, a massive open pit that's much, much deeper than one would expect, a tailings impoundment facility that's also quite massive. 
So all these things are setting off alarm bells for us. And as you've learned more, done your own investigating, consulted experts, what's your sense of the dangers that this mine could pose to the river ecosystem and to the community? Well, there's a lot of impacts. Number one for us right off the bat was the tailings impoundment. We're talking about 260-acre earthen dam that's about 70 meters high over some of our most pristine salmon habitat in the river. So right off the bat, this massive tailings impoundment is setting off alarm bells. But the footprint of this mine is 600 acres right on the banks of our precious river. They're going to draw water from a lake in the area that also runs into the river. But I mean, that tailings dam, they have three or four different options where they can place that tailings impoundment. And none of them are good locations when we look at them. But the one that they're leaning towards is by far the worst. All this is just precious, precious habitat to us. And to even propose to put this in that area seems preposterous to us now. These are very complex projects. We still don't have all the information The process, unfortunately, relies on disclosure by the company to tell us what they're going to do. But for us, it comes down to three different categories of major concern, location, hydrology, and water quality. And I should point out here, too, this is looking at it purely from a fish and water perspective. There are a ton of other environmental concerns and health concerns with air quality and noise and light pollution. In terms of location, we've already alluded to the fact that this is one of two major restoration sites in Nova Scotia, and then that fits into a much larger scheme. St. Mary's is one of the two largest populations that we probably have left on the southern side of Nova Scotia. It's certainly crucial. If we look at where the mine is actually going to go, it is actually situated on Cochrane Hill, right in between the main stem, the main part that drains the whole river. Now, it is on the backside of that hill, but it is like 100 or 200 meters or something like that from the main part of the river. So it has the potential to actually interfere with the whole river system. So the location is very, very concerning to us. This mine, and unfortunately, one of the other mines proposed by Atlantic Gold is next to that other major restoration program on the West River of Sheet Harbor. They managed to pick, from a salmon perspective, the absolute worst two locations to put a gold mine. They've actually went and put them smack dab on some of the most valuable habitat and the most threatened but crucial populations where we're doing the most work. So location-wise, this is very, very concerning. In terms of hydrology, so anytime you dig a big hole in the ground, especially when you're talking about making it 70 meters deep and two kilometers wide, it's going to really disrupt water flowage over and through the land, or or what we simply call hydrology. And that's very concerning to us, because right now with climate change and a lot of the historic impacts that we've seen that humans have caused on our rivers, including the St. Mary's, we already see that these rivers are over-widened and shallow, and we're running into issues where there are times of year where we have real concerns about maintaining water flow in the river. So if you get in and further disrupt that, by removing water or simply by creating holes and fractures in the earth that changes where water flows, that could have a really significant impact preventing fish movement and preventing them from, you know, being able to get to their spawning grounds and reproduce and keep the species going. So we've got a lot of concerns over hydrology and the potential impacts on that front. And the last category of concerns we have has to do with water quality. Gold mines They'll tell you that they've gotten so much better, and they certainly have improved, but by no means should anybody think that that means that they are a clean industry. Their major treatment is these holding ponds where they collect their effluent and their runoff, and they basically put it into a settling pond that has to sit there 
forever. They have to hold and contain this contaminated material forever. And so from now on, if this goes ahead, essentially you have a ticking time bomb that if something happens to that dam holding back that tailings facility, that tailings pond, you have the potential for contamination and massive die-off of all sorts of species. And unfortunately, we have seen this time and time again. The most famous one in Canada, of course, is the Mount Polly disaster in BC, where a gold and copper mine, the tailings facility, gave way and contaminated Quinell Lake and just decimated the population that live in that lake. And now those toxicants are working their way downstream, contaminating the whole watershed. And they proudly advertise that they have the cheapest operating costs of any gold mining company. And that certainly sends up a red flag to us as to, well, why are you able to operate so much cheaper than anybody else? What corners are you potentially cutting? You know, we don't have answers to those questions, but that's certainly causing a lot of concerns to us about potential contamination. Uh, And Hunter went on to talk about a couple of other ways beyond leaching or leaks from tailings ponds that gold mining can also contribute to water contamination. So often resource extraction projects will pitch themselves as having great economic benefits for an area, forcing a sort of environment versus economy framing to the discussion. How is that playing out in terms of this proposed mine? This is going to be a very short duration mine. Most of the jobs that are created are highly specialized. So the people will be brought in from outside. So you're not actually creating economic benefit to the local community. And even the taxation agreement, if you want to call it that, that the province has with the company only sees 1% of the profits going back to the province. As Scott has alluded to, that whole area is very dependent upon the natural resources for ecotourism, for forestry, for natural beauty. And we have a lot of concerns with respect to the salmon and what they represent in that area with this mine. So it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. That's where most of the conflict in a community comes from, is we're struggling in the economy locally. I mean, much of Nova Scotia is, for that matter, probably much of Canada is. So jobs does come up quite often. It's a big one. Everybody wants to have a strong economy. But in this case, the the job creation, the municipality, it's minimal. And all the jobs that will come due to this mine, well, the life cycle of the mine alone, production for six to 10 years, it's just not long term. So we have significant risk here with very minimal benefit. So it just doesn't add up. We have such a short term mine proposed for our area, an area that's booming with tourism. We have the potential to grow in tourism, and a mine threatens that very existence. And it threatens it into the future when they're gone. I'll pick a quote out of an economic impact study that was done by the municipality. And it says in there, the downsides of this 241-hectare mine, less than a kilometer from the St. Mary River, would be largely borne by the residents and the ecosystem of the district. That statement alone alludes to the fact that our community is not going to benefit from this. Sure, we have some short-term jobs that are questionable whether folks from our own municipality will get them or not. But in the long run, it'll be the river that brings us into the future economically. The significance of ecology in those waterways is so important to even the economic drivers of a community moving into the future. So I say any risk that is posed upon that in small communities especially, that's all we have. And if the risk is there and possesses threat that we may not be able to move into the future with clean water, I mean, there's no no question about it. And not just because of salmon and not just because of wood turtles that are both endangered species that are threatened in this area. But what about people, the people in the community, right? There's much more to be lost here. What has your nope or no open pit excavation campaign done in response? 
the two main things we started out with right off the bat were, well, I guess we need to educate the community and get the concerns out there because no one even knows this is coming. So our thought process is just before you know it, this mine will be in our backyard and people won't even see it coming. So number one is let's start a presentation, get it organized and start going out to the community. And the second part of that is let's start to gather support and look for help elsewhere. We've held 10 community presentations, including some highlighted ones would be with our local municipal councillors and a town hall type of meeting in our community. And then we held a similar one in a town that's not too far from Sherbrooke. So you can imagine there were a lot of people that were unaware of this project coming. So that was probably a good first step. As a result of starting to gather that support, we created what we call Friends of the St. Mary's, where we were going to start gathering allies and individuals and organizations together and then go from there and try to have a meeting, organize everybody, and then start to strategize. So the Atlantic Salmon Federation, the Nova Scotia Nature Trust, and the Nova Scotia Salmon Association, and also the Ecology Action Center, they would be the first organizations that really jumped on board to help us out. A couple other highlights that came out of some of that stuff would be seasonal residents. They kind of came out of the woodwork and said, we contribute to the community about a million dollars annually. And they put together a letter that they sent to the municipality and to the premier. A major conservation landowner, Paul Sobey, stepped up and publicly announced his displeasure with a mine coming to this pristine area, along with Bonnie Sutherland, who's the director of the Nova Scotia Nature Trust. There's a lot of protective lands along the St. Mary's River. So there's a lot going on on this river. We've created an online petition at change.org. And you can just search up no open pit excavation on change.org. We come up with a plan to put signage that's have a kind of in the shape of a large stop sign with nope written across it and no open pit excavation. So you see these all throughout the St. Mary's River Valley. Nope stickers as well. We created a mail-out document for the community that highlights concerns. We sent that out to everybody in the community, every household that there is. We created a fundraising campaign, helped us raise quite a bit of money to fight off the gold mine. We've hired a lady to build us a website. I guess also early on, we realized that we needed to get this project out of the hands of just the province and look at a federal assessment. So letter writing campaigns started up and the assessment agency of the federal government of Canada declared that we would be going through that process. That was back in November. We've met with the premier. Our own MLA, Lloyd Hines, he just completely refuses to meet with us. I'm not sure why. I guess you could read into it. On the other hand, we have quite a bit of political support from the provincial NDP leader, Gary Burrell, the Green Party, Thomas Trattenberg, and even the PCs, Tim Houston. And just recently, a huge, a large swath of land along the St. Mary's River corridor has been designated as protected area by the province. And actually, part of this proposed mine is on some of this property. And we're talking about consultation. That consultation process with Atlantic Gold has been just terrible here in our community. How have the local First Nations been relating to all of this? Traditionally, there's been two that have had their hunting and fishing grounds in this area. The Bakanak First Nation and the Picto Landing First Nation. Those two organizations, although we've been talking with them back and forth, are extremely busy right now. So the Picto Landing First Nation, they have another environmental fight on their hands. They have a battle going on there with a paper mill, a northern pulp, and they have 50 years of toxic waste sent into a pond right within their community or the reserve site. That whole event is coming to a head right now, and those folks are completely engulfed within that fight. 
And the Bakunak First Nation, they're building a large commercial facility right now, and they're a very small First Nations group. So they support us, but they're at arm's length right now. There's another First Nation group that stands to lose here is the Millbrook First Nation. They have a small satellite reserve that's close to the other river that Chris was talking about, where the second project is strong and moving forward, one of Atlantic Gold's other mine sites. And those folks are quite involved with us as well, because their satellite reserve is right in that area. And then, of course, there are like the Confederacy of Mainland Mi'kmaq, the Mi'kmaq Conservation Group. There are other multi-nation organizations that are active as well. Many of those I know and we've been chatting with, they also have been looking and watching this quite closely. For the most part, because there's a separate negotiation process and consultation process that has to occur under law with First Nations, they're basically collecting information for that process. And so, uh, as Scott said, we certainly get the feeling from conversations they support us in our efforts. But I don't think any of them have publicly come on the record because, you know, they've got their own process that they have to go through. Where is the official regulatory process at in terms of this mine? And what are your campaign's plans in 2020? Where we're at right now is in order for the mine to go ahead, it needs to complete its federal environmental assessment. So the initial project documents and terms of reference for an environmental impact statement have been developed. And the company is now working on its environmental impact statement. That's where we'll actually get the detailed structure of what exactly is going to be proposed and what mitigation methods they're going to use. That's basically where we're at right now. We're in the environmental assessment process, the permit gathering process. So we're waiting on the company to give us that next step of information going forward. Within the NOPE campaign, we've created four main goals that we're working off of. One of them, the very first one, of course, is let's stop this proposed gold mine on Cochrane Hill. So we'll continue to work towards whatever clever means we can come up with to do that. The second one is keep working towards protected properties along the St. Mary's River watershed, which much of it now is protected and we're very happy about that. Third one is create an independent committee to review mining practices or proposals and projects in the province of Nova Scotia. So an independent committee, I don't know how that would look, but that's something that we'll work on in the future. And this is another big one. All of the gold mining companies should pay into an environmental disaster fund because the tailings impoundment facility there, and if there were a break in it or even leaching, there's no money available either from the proponent of Atlantic Gold, Santa Barbara, or from the province in place right now for any of these mines proposed. And not to mention one on such a key and pristine waterway as the St. Mary's River. So really, just that point of letting the gold mines come in and propose a gold mine wherever they want with nothing really in place to stop it unless the community does take the initiative to stand up and try to fight it, which really still largely the odds are stacked up against us. So it just doesn't seem right. So we'll just keep working off these campaign goals and really our most precious resource, it is our water. You have been listening to my interview with Scott Beaver and Chris Hunter about the NOPE campaign against a proposed open-pit gold mine on the St. Mary's River in Nova Scotia. To find out more about it, go to thegoldmineconversation.wordpress.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 